listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. James chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. James chapter 1, and we're going to venture in to chapter 2, James chapter 1 and verse 26. James 1, 26. Those of you watching online, we're so glad to have you with us this morning. Let's all stand as we read God's Word this morning in James chapter 1 and verse 26. James says, under inspiration, if anyone uh, thinks he is religious and doesn't bridle his tongue and deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a person with gold rings and fine clothing comes into the assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in also and and you uh, say, and you pay attention to the man in fine clothing, and you say, come and sit at the good place. And to the poor man, you say, you stand over there, or come sit at my feet. Uh, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and becoming judges with evil thoughts? My beloved brothers, listen. He says, listen, my beloved brothers. Has God not chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom that he has promised to those who loved him. You have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich those who oppress you? And are not the rich those who drag you into court and blaspheme the honorable name by which you have been called? You may be seated. I'm taking the challenge to not only memorize by the best that I can James chapter 1, but I'm going to try to memorize the entire book of James. So pray for me as we go through this. But this morning we're looking at, I think, about three sermons in one. And I'm not going to preach all three sermons at one time, but we're going to go through this entire passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, the original goal was to go through verse 13, but then we would have been here all day. But I want to think about this morning what James is getting at is he's talking about functional faith. And verses 26 and 27 are the summary verse of where James is heading. James here is teaching in one letter. This is a letter that was written to a bunch of people who were dispersed all around the Roman Empire, who were going through grave oppression, who were going through tough times, difficult situations. And and if you read the book of James on on the surface, you you kind of notice that there's kind of two tones he has. Verses 1 through 18 is a very pastoral, very encouraging tone. And then you get to verse 19, and he kind of just turns it on and goes from from preaching to meddling. (laughs) He gets to the nitty-gritty of what things are. And verses 26 and 27 serve as a summary verse for where James is heading for the rest of the book. Now, when James writes this book, he is not writing it with chapters in mind. So what you have is a continuation of what he has just said. And what he says and what we read this morning in verses 26 and 27 are what it means to be truly religious. Now, we kind of have this motto that we're not into religion We're into relationship, and that Jesus is not into religion, he's into relationship. But I want you to understand that when James here talks about religion, he's not talking about some cold, dead orthodoxy. Not a lot of things that we think of religiosity. You know, 
Sometimes we, have, we give things a bad rap, and religion is not a bad thing. It's just what we make it to be bad. And what religion really is, is not, what James is saying, is not cold, dead orthodoxy, but is an external expression of living faith. You know, there's a difference between tradition and traditionalism. Tradition is the living faith of dead men, and traditionalism is the dead faith of living men. Do you catch that? So false religion or empty religion or worthless religion is dead faith of living men. But real true religion is something that expresses itself. Real faith expresses itself. And as we've been talking about this entire series, it has functional faith. It, our faith should be functional and ready for any contingency in life. So James's concern is that there is a danger that happens even among those who call themselves believers to have an outward facade of religiosity a veneer of religion with no real internal change. And that's why he said last week that there are many who are hearers that are not doers. So in James's mind, when he says in verse 26 and 27 that if you do not bridle your tongue and you deceive your heart, your religion is worthless, and he goes on and he tells us what true religion is, in James's mind, an uncontrolled tongue, an uncaring heart, and an unclean life are symptomatic that no internal change has occurred. So what I'm trying to get at this morning is that God does not expect anyone in this room to be perfect because you can't be perfect, only one is perfect, and his name is Jesus. But what we should be pursuing in our Christianity is a life of progress, to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. I want to be more like Jesus today than I was a couple of days ago at the airport when my plane got canceled, amen? I want to be more like Jesus. So in your minds, and I know that we're jumping into a lot of teaching, but in your minds, here's what you have to ask yourself. If I see no progress, what's the problem? Where there is no progress, there should be questions. And James tells us how we can make progress in our Christian walk, how we can be more like the person God has called us to be to have true religion that has a controlled tongue, that has a caring heart, and has a clean life. How can we do this? And it happens by when we look into the mirror of God's Word. See, the Word of God is not just a, a hammer. It's not just a sword, but it's a mirror. And as a mirror, it shows us who God is, and it shows us who we are. And here's the beauty of the gospel. Here's the beauty of the Bible. That before God tells you to do something, He shows you who you are. And in light of seeing who you are, pre-Christ and post-Christ, as Christ is coming to your life, it should change you from who you used to be to who He is making you to be. So this morning, He begins this thought by how we should treat other people, how real true religion, how real functional faith treats other people. And He begins with this whole concept of partiality. So let's just kind of walk through this this morning, and let's see what God's Word has to say to all of us this morning. So we're going to look first at the definition of partiality. He says, my brothers show no partiality. Now, on the very surface, this isn't a new command. This isn't a new concept. It's all throughout the Bible. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15, God says, you shall not be partial to the poor, nor should you defer to the great. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, God's word says that God is not partial and takes no bribes. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 21, the writer of Proverbs says to show partiality is no good. Acts chapter 10, verse 34, and Galatians 2, verse 6, the Bible says that God shows no partiality. 
Now, when we think about this, we don't really use the word partiality much. And so I think for us to get a better grip, grip of what he is commanding here, we need to understand what he's not saying. What James is not saying that we should show no, hosp- uh, no partiality is he's not saying that we shouldn't honor other people, that we shouldn't show honor to certain people, and that we shouldn't make appropriate distinctions. The Bible says that we are to give honor to whom honor is due. We're to give respect to whom respect is due. Parents, do you know the Bible says, honor your father and your mother? Children, God says, honor your father and your mother. The Bible teaches that we're to honor the elderly. We are to honor the widows. You are to honor the pastor and the elder who leads well. You're to honor leadership. You are to honor those who are in authority over you. So the Bible here, James is not saying that we should not show respect or that we shouldn't show honor, that everyone is just on equal footing with no no regards of any distinctions. He's not saying that. What he's saying here is the word partiality literally means in the Greek to receive face or to be controlled by face. It's the glory of appearance. It is is making self-serving judgments based on external appearances or worldly standards. Let me give you a better definition. It is ascribing worth or value to a person based on beauty, wealth, power, position, athleticism, or strength, and it is devaluing people who do not measure up to our own standards. That's what partiality means. Now, here's the question. How many of y'all are guilty of that? And don't say amen because that would be all of us, and it would be so loud that our ears couldn't take it this morning. We're all guilty of this. We, we cannot go anywhere. Like if you want to just think about where you go during the day and, and the distinctions that you make in your mind about other people, the thoughts that you have, the judgments that you have about other people, even how you treat other people. Based on what they wear, based on what they look like, based on their status, based on the car that they drive, based on all this, that, and the other. We make these distinctions all the time. And James here says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying that this, con- this idea of playing favorites, of discriminating, of being prejudiced or partial is incompatible with Christianity. It's unchristian. Going back to verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1, James is going to say that a Christ-shaped religion has a heart of mercy for people cares for people, doesn't look at the color of their skin, but the content of their character, doesn't look at the externals, is not fooled by the externals, but has a heart of mercy for people, who keeps their tongue in check when they talk about other people. Now that should, listen, God help us all, right? You know the difference between gossip and flattery? Flattery is saying something to someone's face you never say behind their back. Gossip is saying this behind someone's back what you never say to their face. God help us all. True religion is one who shows mercy to people, who keeps their tongue in check when they talk about other people, and doesn't fall into the tropes and the standards of this world. So James illustrates this because he understands that all of us are going to be like, you know what, James, I'm not really sure what you mean by partiality. So he gives us this illustration in verses 2 and 3. So notice what he says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... Now, this is early writing, James, and that word assembly is actually the, the word synagogue. Synagogue. So, he says, basically, if, if there's a man with a gold ring, and this word gold ring actually means a gold-fingered man. So, you hear it's like a James Bond movie. Goldfinger is talking here. 
So if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing, so here's a guy that's got the nicest clothes. You know, he, he has got this look, he is posh, he's got the bling bling, he is just somebody that just looks like they got a lot of money. Now, in James's day, what you wore often showed your status in the society. So this guy came to church, and he looked to be very important, very powerful, very influential. And then he says another guy comes to church, and he's in shabby clothing. He's a bum. He smells bad. He looks bad. He, he probably just has been wearing the same clothes for, for months, if not years. And he looks destitute. So he says, imagine you come to church and two people show up. And here's an interesting thing. I think it's, it's, this is the only passage of Scripture that I know that teaches ushers how to ush. You have two people come into church. One guy looks very wealthy, looks very good, very well together, drove in in a Bentley. Has a suit and a tie on because that's what you're supposed to wear if you're powerful and influential. Has the bling bling on, looks good, smells good, has a head full of hair, <laughs> a nice tan, got a Rolex on. And then another guy comes in and he stinks. And he hasn't brushed his teeth in a week. His hair's matty. And he says, if you pay attention to the rich man and you focus, and what he means by you're focusing on them and you're just, just doting on them and whatever you need, sir, how can I help you, sir? My pleasure. Here's the best seat. See, in Jewish society, where you sat is where you stood. And so he, he gets the preferential treatment. It's like when you go to the airport and you have first class lounges. Or you go to on an airplane and you have the people that sit way up in the front. And the, then you have the cattle in the back. Well, here you give him the best seat. Now, in Jesus' day and in James' day, the best seats in the church were in the front. You know where the best seats in the church are today? In the back. <laughs> and so you tell this guy, hey, come sit up in the front. Come in the prominent spot. Be here. We want everybody to see you, that you're here, that you're important. And hey, you poor guy, you go stand over in the corner, or you know what? You can sit right here by my feet, whatever I'm doing. Basically, you're treating this guy that is poor less than human. You're disregarding him. You don't even think about him. You're like, you hope he doesn't come back. As a matter of fact, you're saying to some of the other people, don't be nice to him, he'll come, he'll come back. And James says, have you not made distinctions among yourselves? He says, this whole concept is, 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 is not good that you're dividing people between what they wear and, 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 and making distinctions about them. Basically, you're saying that when, that when someone is worth more to the world, then they're worth more to me. Or you're saying if someone is worth less to the world, then they are worth less to you. And you are judging a person's soul as having a greater value than another based on superficial worldly criteria. How much money they have. What's their politics? What their race is? What their athleticism is? What, how cool they are? How famous they are? It's amazing how in our society you can be somewhere and someone who is famous can get preferential treatment. And this person might be the worst, horrible human being in the entire world, but yet everybody fawns over them. 
And here James says, you have become judges with evil thoughts. If you make judgments based on external appearances, it's not just wrong. James calls it a word. He says it is, let's say this word together, it is evil. It's evil. When we withhold love or respect or affection or hospitality or friendship or kindness or service based on someone's external experiences, it is evil. Now, the one thing I know that most Americans, regardless of whether they are Christians or not, would agree with this. We've come a long way in America. And most states, even the state of Florida, does everything it can to make laws and rules and legislate against this type of discrimination. Yet, as many of the rules that keep being made over and over and over again, some are just ridiculous, there's still a problem with it. Because it tells us there is something wrong with us that we have this desire, this need within us to push down people, to put ourselves up. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But I want to not only define partiality, but I want us to continue the text and see the dangers of partiality. Why is it so evil? Why would he call it evil? And the reason, number one, he begins with Christians and he says, if you are partial to people, you do not understand the gospel. Verse 5, notice what he says. Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who loved him? Now, James is not saying in this verse that only poor people go to heaven. Lazarus went to heaven. Joseph of Arimathea went to heaven. Job went to heaven. Cornelius went to heaven. He is not saying that only poor people go to heaven because if that's the case, none of us in this room could ever go to heaven. Because you realize that compared to the world, you and I are in the top at least 5% in the entire world. Right. Y'all with me this morning? <laughs> we are. So what, Paul, what James is saying here is he's not saying that, that poor people are the only ones that go to heaven, but what he is saying is that generally, not many elites embrace Christ. In James's day, the overwhelming majority of Christians were poor people. What James is getting at in verse number 5 is this, is that God's criteria for choosing people is not based on worldly standards. God doesn't look around for the best. God doesn't choose people like we tend to choose people. You know, when, when I was in elementary school or middle school, we would do these schoolyard picks. You ever been a part of a schoolyard pick where they pick, you have two people that are captains of the team, and then they pick who's going to be on their team. And normally, if you were the captain of the team, you would look at who is the biggest, who is the strongest, who is the fastest. You would look at somebody, that who's going to help you win? And you were like, you know, Sometimes you got at the very end and you had to decide who's going to take that one. <laughs> well, here's what God is saying in this passage. That's not how God chose us. God didn't look at you and say, you know what, that person is going to be a really good person. They're going to, be, they're, they're going to make a lot of money. They're going to do well in school. They're, they're, they're really smart. They're, they're savvy. They're really pious. They're really religious. They're really godly. I want them on our team. Don't you, Holy Spirit? Don't you, Jesus? Don't you angels look at him? No, that's not how God chose us. I want you to understand that God did not choose you because you were awesome. God chose you because he's awesome. 
And therefore, we don't have anything to brag about in ourselves. Paul puts this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. He says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. Verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are all. Why? So that no human being may boast in the presence of God. We don't have anything to brag about. I mean, I know sometimes we think, well, I drive a Bentley, or I have a Rolex, or I've got this amount of money in my bank account, or I have this, or I do that, or I'm this smart, or I have this kind of degree. And we think, well, I'm better than the other person around me. But I want you to understand that when you and I discriminate, we are stepping out of the grace of God and becoming many gods who judge others based on our own evil intentions. And God's saying, who do you think you are? The only reason that any of us are going to heaven and inheriting the kingdom of God, the only way that you can is you have to admit that you can't. That you are poor in spirit. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Until you come to a place where you realize that you are spiritually bankrupt, totally destitute, unable to bring anything to the table that would make God love you or accept you, until you come to that point, you'll never go to heaven. And what's keeping some of you in this room from giving your heart to Jesus is you still think that you are worthy of Him choosing you. But I want you to understand, none of us are worthy. All of us are destitute. All of us need grace. All of us need Jesus. And the only difference, my friends, between you and somebody else is the grace of God. So Paul is saying, or James is saying here, who do you think you are? So when you and I discriminate, which we all do, we're sinners. It shows a lack of understanding of the gospel. But number two, it disrespects the person. Verse 6, he says, you have dishonored the poor man. Do you realize that every human being is made in the image of God? That every human being has distinct value and dignity and worth regardless of who they are, what their condition is, what their fitness is, and what their age is. Whether they are the unborn baby in the mother's womb or the 99-year-old grandma who is in the nursing home who is dying. They all are equal in value, worth, and dignity. And when we look down on someone on the basis of their status or their appearance, we are dishonoring the very God who made them in His image. See, when we discriminate against others, when we show favoritism towards others, we are dishonoring God because all life is precious. There's a third thing. Not only do we not understand the gospel, and not only are we disrespecting the person, but here's a good theological word. We're just dumb. We're just dumb. Notice what he says. You've dishonored the poor man. Now just think of his logic here. He says you are chasing after these rich people. You are doting on them. You are paying attention to them. You are giving them the best seats in the house. You are just like a little puppy dog. And he says, are not these rich people the ones who are oppressing you? Are not the ones who are rich dragging you into court? This is current events in James. The, the believers of Jesus were being used. They were being abused. They were being persecuted and prosecuted by rich people who were mocking the very name of Jesus. It's just dumb. 
You know, it's amazing how many of us will, will be excited and find our identity and just basically worship celebrities. We have this celebrity culture in America that we, we put people way up high. That these people may be even contradicting the very things that we stand for. We pay hundreds if not thousands of dollars to see them. We, we would faint if we would to, to meet them. We'll do whatever. We'll stand in lines in the rain for hours just to be in their presence. And yet, we are preferring the very people who hate Christians, who despise and mock the name of God. And James says, when you do this, do you see how stinking inconsistent you are? Here's something about sin. Sin always leads us to be inconsistent. It's amazing, and we, don't have, we didn't have time, but next week we will have time, praise God, if He gives us time, is that we have a tendency of having selective morality. And I'm going to go ahead and get into meddling because I want to go ahead and tick you off really good. It's amazing how even in the church, we look down on adulterers, we look down on divorced people, we look down on people who are on drugs. We look down on people who lie and steal. And we think, well, people that discriminate, that, that, you know what, it just, it happens. We all do it. We're being inconsistent. We have selective morality. Sin is sin. God hates sin. Now listen, James is not saying that we should hate or resent rich people. We need rich people every now and again. This is a joke. He's not saying we should hate or resent rich and powerful people. But here's what he is saying. He's saying it is foolish to pin your hopes on them. Don't hate them. Just don't pin your hopes on them. When you exalt the rich and the powerful above the poor and the vulnerable, you are going against the very gospel of Jesus Christ. So, let's get to the, the best part. And, and stay with me on this. I want to talk about how do we get free from this. I want to talk about the deliverance of partiality. Now, why is it that we all struggle with this? And please stay with me on this. It goes back to what he says in chapter 1, verse 14, about all sin. Here's what James says. If you're struggling with sin in this room, all of this, you can find its genesis in this verse. He says, each person is tempted when they are lured and enticed by his own desire. Remember this? Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. It starts with a desire. And remember, if those of you are with me, this desire is the word epitumia, this over-desire. It's not that we desire bad things, it's that we just desire things too badly. This desire that, that happens in our life, it starts, sin always starts as an addiction, or as an attraction before it becomes an addiction. That we are attracted to something. So why is it that we, what are we addicted to? What are we, pardon me, what are we attracted to that causes us to discriminate and show prejudice and show favoritism? And here's what it is. This is good. It's the desire for significance. Stay with me in this. This is, this is going to help some of us in this room. It is this desire to be accepted by other people. It's this desire to have worth and value, and to be desirable. 
It's, it's, in other words, it's the longing in our hearts for glory. See, we were created for glory. We were hardwired for glory. We were created by the glory of God for the glory of God. But because we live in a broken, fallen world, we are insecure. Everybody in this room struggles with insecurity. Now, they may mask it with cockiness or pride or arrogance, but we all struggle with it because we all know that there's something within us that isn't right. And so what we do is to deal with the insecurity is either A, we favor those who we think will add value to us, or we reject those who don't add value to us, or we feel threatened by those who compete with us. See, there are two glories. The shadow glories of the world, which are wealth and power and fame. And then there's the glory of God. And all glories that we have in this world, all physical glories are just merely shadows that point us to the ultimate glory of God. Now, in the Old Testament, the word glory was used. And it's the word kabod. You know, around October, you hear the story about the headless horseman and the guy who solved the headless horseman was a guy named Ichabod Crane. Ichabod means no glory. The word glory means is kabod, and the word kabod or kabod means weight or weightiness or heaviness. So this whole idea, this whole concept of glory is to be heavy, to be weighty, to hold weight. So we all have this desire to hold weight to have weightiness. So think about this. Please stay with me. I know this may give you a mind bend, but just listen. The desire for glory is the desire in my heart to truly matter. Matter. I want to matter. Don't you want to matter? Don't you want to be somebody? Nobody I know wants to be a nobody. Everybody wants to be somebody. The word matter in physics means weight, mass, density. So this whole concept is that the desire of my heart is to matter. And so when we think about this, think how we use this word when we talk about other people. When we see someone that's significant, when we see someone that is influential, when we see someone that has clout, we say that person matters. You ever said that? Or when we see somebody that's not significant or when they say something that's not significant, we say that doesn't matter. So the reason that we discriminate against other people and show partiality and favoritism and the reason that we prefer people that give us value rather than those who take or who we perceive take value is because we want to favor people that make us matter. Have you ever met, met somebody that, used, that, that name drops? I met so-and-so. I know Kevin Bacon and he knows everybody. You know the reason why some people, maybe you work with a name dropper who they know somebody famous in your company or maybe you just in life and they're always dropping names of famous people that they met? You know the reason why they do that? It's because they want you to think they're special. They want you to think because they've met them or that they know them or that they have a relationship with them that they are somebody. Because what happens is, is that when we prefer other people we are often looking to them to give us some value. We want to see people build our resume up. So the reason why the ushers, in James's illustration, gave the rich man a good seat wasn't because he was a good man, but because they thought, 
what could this person do for me? He showed his glory in what he wore. He showed his weight and his clout for everybody to see. And the ushers disregarded the poor man because the poor man had no glory. He had no weight. He had no clout because he was nobody. And the reason why we favor and give preferential treatment to the rich and influential is because we think that if we're nice to them, somehow we can get a piece of their glory. And what we find ourselves doing, and I know the reason why y'all are quiet is because you know what I'm talking about here is that all of us in this room have a propensity to chase after things that the world attaches value to so that at the end we can say we matter. We chase the job. We chase the title. We chase the position. We chase the money. We chase the notoriety. We chase the legacy so that when we die, we can say we mattered. Even in the church, this happens. Partiality reveals what's most important to your heart. See, the way we view people is much more dictated by what rules our heart than it's dictated by who these people are. Most of the time, we don't care who they are. We just want to know, what can they do for me? And we value them because we think they can bring value to us. Or they can bring value to the family. Or they can bring value to my company. Or they can bring value to the life, my life. Or bring value to the church. See, this desire for significance will cause us, as James says, he says, are not these the very ones who drag you into court and oppress you and blaspheme the very name by which you are called? The desire for significance will cause us to compromise our values and our beliefs and our convictions because we desire glory above them. It is amazing what people will do, how far they'll go, what, who they'll step on, and how they'll treat other people just to get notoriety. Just to feel significant. Now, I've given you the problem, but what's the solution? Here's what it is. How can we be delivered from our over-desire to matter? It starts in James chapter 2, verse 1. Notice what he calls his brother. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he calls his brother. Say it with me. The Lord of glory. Glory. Is, is, is things starting to click here? He says, if you want to overcome this desire to be somebody that is consuming your life, then find your value, find your worth, find your significance in the Lord of glory. You know, in the Old Testament, how did God show His glory? He showed it by a pillar, a cloud. In the Exodus, the Shekinah glory of God revealed by a cloud during the day and a cloud of fire at night, and the people saw it and they knew that God was there. How does God show His glory today? In Jesus Christ. See, the glory of the rich man was seen in his clothing, but the glory of God is seen in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 6, For God who said, let, there be light, let, let light be out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In who? In the face of Jesus Christ. 
John chapter 1, verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the power of His Word. Jesus is the Lord of glory. Think about James. James grew up with Jesus. They slept in the same house. Saw him every day, and yet he calls him the Lord of glory. You know, how does Jesus, how is he the Lord of glory? What's well, who he is? But you know what really makes Jesus the Lord of glory? Is he came and gave us his glory. See, Jesus was infinitely rich, but became poor. So that by his poverty, we could become rich. John 17, verse 5, the Bible says that Jesus laid down his glory. Tim Keller says this. He says, ultimate glory is when someone who has glory gives up their glory to give it to somebody else. Jesus emptied himself to share his glory. He gave up his riches to make us rich. He is the ultimate somebody who became a nobody to save everybody. Who all happened to be a bunch of nobodies. When did Jesus receive the most glory? When did Jesus matter the most? You know when he mattered the most is when he was on the cross. The greatest moment of his glory is when he gave up his glory on the cross. Now you may be saying, how does that fill the void of significance in my life? Here's how it does. You don't chase after the glory of the world. You don't put other people down, but you see the glory that God has lavished upon your life. You know, a lot of people are like balloons. And, you know, when you fill a balloon with air, it can get puffed up. And some people are like balloons that are puffed up with their own hot air. But all it takes is one little thing, and it gets deflated. And some of us in this room, we go from puffed up to deflated in the same day. You want to know why? Because we're filled with hot air. But if you take that same balloon and you fill it with something that's solid, it'll hold up. What's the thing that's solid? It can't be our glory. That's all hot air. You realize that? When you die, if you are fortunate, they will remember you 20, 30 years after you're dead. At your funeral, they'll eat fried chicken and potato salad, talk about what a good person you were, go home and forget about you. But if you want to be filled with something that will fill you up, fill yourself up with Jesus. See, when you see how much He has loved you, even though you don't deserve it, when you see His compassion and your love, His love for you, and you see how bad and sinful you are, it will keep you from discriminating. Because the truth is, is that God knows everything about you and yet He still loves you. And so the reason why you and I are not as compassionate to the helpless and the hurting is because we've forgotten who we used to be. But if you know Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory, if you know Him as the one who is all glorious, you will not be controlled by the craving of the human glory or the fear that comes in your life thinking that if you just discriminate, you'll be safe. When Jesus Christ is your glory, He's all the glory you need.
Let me end with this. This is a good word. Jesus frees us from partiality because he was the rich man in the good seat. And we were the poor man on the floor. And yet Jesus gave up his seat to us and he took ours. Jesus, who had all the glory, gave up his glory to give us his glory when we had no glory. I want to end with this. I'm sure some of you, many of you have not seen Toy Story 4. Hopefully most of you have seen a Toy Story. Or know something about it. Buzz, Lightyear, and Woody. Well, there's a little girl, and, and, and I'm not going to give anything away, but in Toy Story 4, there's a little girl named Bonnie. And Bonnie is now a kindergartner. And she is now a proud owner of Buzz and Woody. And in the story, there is her first, her first day of kindergarten. And she was sad because she was growing up. And so she goes to, to kindergarten, and the thing that the teacher wants them to do is they gave them a bunch of supplies, and they say, create something out of the materials that you have. And somehow, some way, out of the trash, I'm not going to spoil anything, but Woody brings <laughs> this plastic spoon fork, known as a spork, out of the trash. And, and little Bonnie gets this little spoon fork, and she puts little eyeballs on it and makes little hands, puts a mouth on it, puts, puts little feet on it, and at the bottom of the, of the, little, the little thing puts her name, Bonnie. And here's a picture of this thing right here. And she loved, she called him Forky. And Forky is her new favorite toy. So she brings Forky back to her home. And when, the, when, when she comes back to the home, you know, when, when, the, when the kid leaves, all the toys come alive in Toy Story. If I've ruined that movie for you, I'm so sorry. And little Forky comes alive. And, and Forky just pops out and starts waking up. And then the, the issue is, is that Forky doesn't realize that he's a toy. And what does Forky do? If you've seen the movie, Forky sees all the toys and he's like, trash, trash. And immediately, Forky just takes off to go to the trash. And Woody, all throughout the movie, has to constantly keep Forky from going back in the trash. And what, what Woody would say, is, said, listen, Forky, you are not trash, you're a toy. You are not trash, you're a toy. Now, here's the question. When I watch this. What made Forky a toy rather than trash? You know what it was? The love of Bonnie. That little girl loved that little thing she created, this whatever this is, and she put her name on the toy, and she treasured Forky. And now, he's not trash. He's a treasured toy. Now, I thought about that as I was thinking about this sermon. And you know what? The Bible tells us that God has chosen us to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom when we were poor. We were trash. Jesus called us his treasure. 
And I want you to hear me this morning. If that is true and you believe that is true, we have no room to call anyone trash whom God has made His treasure. If He has put His name, stamped His name, we have no room to call anyone trash whom God has made His treasure. But here's the second thing. If God calls you His treasure, this is a good word, stay with me. If He calls you His treasure, then stop acting like you're trash. Stop following the world. Stop trying to get back in the trash can. Follow Jesus. That's what functional faith is. So here's what I want to say. If you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, stop acting like you're trash. You're not trash. We had somebody say to us the other day, I, I, I know I need to get baptized, but I don't think I'm worthy to get baptized. Well, here's the good news. You'll never be worthy to be baptized. He makes you worthy. If He's called you treasure, don't call yourself trash. And some of you this morning, you need to give your life to Jesus. And He's here today and He'll take you in the trash of your life and He'll make you something beautiful and call you His. It is no secret what God can do. What He's done for others, He'll do for you. So let's stand and let's proclaim that this morning. The goodness of God. And I want you to pray with me. And if you're here and you say, Pastor, I, I need to take that next step of baptism. I need to follow the Lord in salvation. I need to do whatever. Whatever God's called you to do. There are encouragers down here that would love to talk with you. People in the next steps room, myself personally. But let's all bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's just pray and thank God who got us out of the trash can and made us His treasure. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray Your Holy Spirit would do a work that only Your Spirit could do. Thank You for the Word. Help us, God, to not find our significance in the things of this world, but to find our significance in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love You. And I pray, God, that You would move in a way that only You get the glory for in Jesus' name, amen.